0: Have you heard of the terms positive parenting, conscious parenting, responsive parenting, attachment parenting? What do they all mean? Today we're talking about parenting styles and we're going to tell you which one is backed by research and how to apply it in your own home. Welcome to episode 24 of the Curious Neuron Podcast. Welcome to the Curious Neuron Podcast, parenting advice that is backed by science. My name is Cindy Hubington, and I am the founder and your host. I have a doctorate degree in neuroscience, and I'm a mom of three. My goal is to bring you information from research that will help you parent your child. Whether you just had a baby or you have a teenager, Curious Neuron is here to answer your questions. Learn with us by visiting our website at curiousneuron.com. Join us on Instagram or Facebook. Join our courses, our live webinars, or our weekly family meetings on Monday nights. Send in your comments or questions at info at curiousneuron.com. Hello, friends. Welcome back. I am not consistent with this podcast. (laughs) I try my best to post regularly, but it's not happening. All this is going to change now. We um, are going to be rebranding and relaunching the podcast in May. As you know, Marion has joined me on this podcast and we enjoy chatting together. So we want to chat some more. We're going to be taking the time to um, come up with episodes together and discuss research. I invite you to head over to curiousneuron.com and click on podcast at the top of the website. Um, I've added a little button on the podcast page that will allow you to leave a one-minute audio question. This way, I'll be able to answer more of your questions and include them on the podcast. My goal with Curious Neuron is that it becomes a place that you know you can ask any question that you have related to your child's development or to parenting and I as the founder and the neuroscientist and the mom will find um, somebody who could answer this question because I've created lots of connections over the years with um, specialists in pediatrics and researchers as well. And I want to be able to find the right person for your question and either create a blog post or a post on Instagram or create um, a podcast episode around it. Um, So please head over to CuriousNow.com and click on podcast. Also, I have a little mission for you. If you are enjoying the podcast, I invite you to head over to um, our iTunes page and rate our podcast on five stars, and please leave a review. This will let me know if you're enjoying the podcast, what you're enjoying about it, or if you're not. Um, you know, you could leave that review too if you want, but it'll just allow me to know um, what we could keep including or not including in the podcast. So I would appreciate your support, and also I want to continue doing this. So I just want to make sure that you are enjoying it. Today's episode is um, an episode that you'll need a notebook for because there's just that much information packed into an hour where you will have lots of tips that you can apply in your um, everyday life with your child. So I think it's going to be one of those conversations that you'll listen to over and over again. Um, Also, uh, I absolutely love Jenna and Shauna's Instagram page. They have Um, this feed where every single post is one that I save Um, they are evidence based everything they talk about is backed by research which I love they are two child psychologists and you can also get some information on their website helping families thrive and What I love is they've launched a course, uh, a course that um, you could get the link by visiting curiousnon.com and clicking on their episode under podcasts. Under the show notes, I have a button there and you could access their course and get 20% off if you... Um, use the code HFTCurious. Um, again, that's uh, you can go to their website and click on the course, or head on to the Curious on website, click on their episode, and you can purchase their course that guides you through parenting and is backed by science, um, and enter the code HFTCurious to get twenty percent off. Okay, you've waited long enough. <laughs> let's let's listen to the episode, and I'll see you on the other side welcome back everybody we're here today with jenna and shauna from helping families thrive and i am so excited to speak to them because you'll see if you head on to their instagram account that they offer valuable information every single day things that can help guide you in parenting and and understand your child as well and i'm happy that we're going to have this conversation about parenting styles and all those terms that you've heard about before and we're gonna set everything straight today welcome to the show thank
1: you Thank you. We're so excited.
0: <laughs> we also today have Marion with us um because we're gonna, you know, add a lot of conversation today. We wanna talk about parenting styles. And like I said, I think the main thing that parents were talking to me about or asking is what are all these terms? Positive parenting, conscious parenting, what should we do? And even with when it comes to researchers and, and clinicians, we hear about authoritative parenting, authoritarian parenting what is all this let's um kind of build a let's bring it all down to a certain level that we can all understand so that when we're using these terms in our conversation all the parents will be able to know what we're talking about so how about we start with um parenting practices or philosophies what are those and what are the terms we hear
2: okay yeah so when we talk about parenting philosophy is those are generally different than parenting styles that are studied in the research. Um, So in the research, that's where we have these concepts like authoritarian, authoritative, neglectful and permissive parenting. And so we can talk about that. When we talk about philosophies, we're more talking about a set of ideas around parenting that generally isn't studied as a whole. So those are our things like conscious parenting or gentle discipline, even positive parenting can be in there, although that is actually a term that's used to describe some parenting interventions that do have research behind them. And that doesn't make these philosophies good or bad. It just means that they are different than a well-researched, um, parenting style. and um, so that's what we want to, you know think about. Are we talking about a philosophy that is helping guide a family because it aligns with their values? or are we talking about a well-defined parenting style that's been studied in the literature to demonstrate certain? Yes,
1: exactly. And one one way we like to conceptualize this is kind of, you know, if we think about what's been studied in the research over and over, Um, parenting styles are typically measured across two dimensions in in the research. We're not looking at parenting philosophies now, right? People's interpretation of how they might apply that research in certain ways. But when we look at what parenting styles are defined as in the literature and research, it's measured across the dimension of warmth and control. So those are the two kind of things that are, are focused on when looking at parenting styles. And how high or low uh, a parent might fall in how they execute both of those dimensions kind of places them in a different dimension of parenting styles. So for example, if you are um, high on warmth and low on control, so things like setting boundaries, follow through, right? But you're really high on warmth, right? You have strong relationship and <laughs> lots of child directed play, let's say all of these things. So there's some really great strengths there but holding a boundary might be trickier for you. Um, And this would be called in literature, more permissive parenting styles. And sometimes that label, right Jenna? (laughs) That labels are always tricky, but all that means that label of permissive parenting, um, it just means that you have lots of warmth and boundaries are trickier, you're lower on control. When you have um, the reverse and you have really high control, so lots and lots of boundaries, high control, and you have low warmth so things like the relationship building and and praise and some of those positive parenting practices are tougher for that parent then that would fall into more of authoritarian i always mess that up cuz it sounds just like authoritative <laughs> yeah me too <laughs> so it's authoritarian parenting basically that's harsher parenting right um now mm-hmm. both of those have been associated so when you are having trouble with the warmth and when you're having trouble with the boundaries, both of those different styles have been found to have harder outcomes for kids and harder outcomes for relationships between parent child, right? What's been found to have the best long-term outcomes for kids, right, and the parent-child relationship is when you have a combination of high warmth and high boundaries. So I bring that up because I think when we know that and that has been well established over and over in the research, we can start to filter out some noise and be like, okay, oh my God, what do I do this, this, you know, ping ponging between 5,000 different, you know, Instagram accounts and am I this type of a parent or that type of a parent and which camp do I belong to, right? All of those things are different paths up a mountain, okay? But when I think about what's going to be our compass up this mountain, like how are we going to find our true north as a parent, Like, hey, let's just head north, guys. Like, what does the research say will bring us north? Which I think we generally we want our kids, we want a good relationship with our kids, and we want them to be healthy and resilient people in life, right? Mm -hmm. And there's many paths up the mountain, but we do need a compass, right? And so the combination of warmth and boundaries that serves as our compass, right? That's our due north. Now, how do we do that? That's going to be a whole other conversation, but I. Hopefully that helps differentiate, right, like all the parenting philosophies, the interpretation of, okay, how exactly do you need to, you know, what are the scripts you follow <laughs> um, to do that, or what are the specific practices, those are the paths up the mountain. But the way you check to see if the path is consistent with research, I think is to saying, you know, are we going due north, are we having warmth and boundaries,
0: I think those two terms are really the essential terms of today, you know, in terms of the compass is what I love and that you're looking at warmth and boundaries. And if that is your guide up the mountain, then it's okay. And it's okay if you veer off a little bit, but have that as your guide to go up. And, you know, I think back to maybe the way I was parented or many people around in my generation. And we think of that authoritarian where it's, I am the parent, uh-huh. what I say goes, you have no say, <laughs> and lots of, lots of boundaries, but very little warmth. And, you know, maybe most of us are used to that and think, well, I turned out okay, or or did I? <laughs> and then we try to continue that pattern. Um, so what would you say to a parent who feels that this is the right way to parent, or maybe even feels that that warmth is... A way of giving in or allowing our kids to do a lo- whatever they want. Um, personally, what I like is when we t- talk about authoritative parenting, that we are s- showing and highlighting yep. that it's both warmth and boundaries. Yes. But what would you say to a parent who feels that this is the right kind of parenting for them, maybe? <laughs>
2: um, yeah, I mean, I think, again, it's it, when we're looking at our it's easy to say, well, I turned out fine. Right. And that that's the study of one. (laughs) And we just, we have to go back to the research and say, you know, what we can all have our own values as a family and remembering that our ultimate goal is the best outcomes. And we don't have, have to sacrifice Some of these things that are important. It is important for our kids to have cooperation. And it is important for our kids to, you know, do as their parents say most of the time. And you know i think most of us can agree that raising kids who are empathetic and kind and socially skilled are also important values and so it's it's trying to shift from this black or white thinking all or nothing i have to be this harsh or i have to be warm okay let's come back to the center and we envision this as like this pendulum You know, there's that, you know, the harsh parenting, the authoritarian parenting, spare the rod, spoil the child parenting that a lot of us grew up with. And then, you know, on one hand, we have people say, well, that's how I was raised. So I'm going to do this. But we also have the people who say, that's how I was raised. I don't want that, right? The people who did not turn out fine or who who can, uh, you know, remember the effects of some of that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we swing over here to, I want to be opposite of that. And now I really want this warm relationship. And now Mm. setting boundaries, it brings up a lot of emotions because it's hard to see our kids in distress. That's one of the things Mm. that uh, when we talk about setting boundaries, I think most parents are aware that that's important. There's not many parents that would say, I don't think boundaries are important. But when we go Mm. to set them, the distress Mm. that comes up for our kids sometimes can be hard for parents and that's where we see a weakening in that boundary setting and Mm -hmm. softening well if my child's upset that must mean they're not ready or that must mean that they can't do this yet so I'm going to wait or I'm not going to let them experience distress and that's where we know that outcomes for kids is not great Resilience mm-hmm. is built from experiencing distress and working through it, not from being rescued from it. And that's where we have to come back to that. That's going to be a quote. <laughs>
0: that was such a good. <laughs> that was such a good phrase. It's true. That
1: pendulum swinging is. Um, I'll say I've worked in in cultural contexts in which, um, you know, we really are experiencing more of the harsher, you know, children are to be seen, not heard perspective. Um, And I love that you brought that up. (laughs) Um, And then I would say more and more, what I'm seeing is actually families coming in that are experiencing distress related to the pendulum having swung quite a bit the other way, right? I think that some of the research has been more generally accepted about, hey, you know, harsh um, parenting, yelling at your child, um, shaming your child, spanking your child. These are indeed associated with Uh, poor outcomes for kids, right? Things like increased aggression um, and things like uh, a reduced uh, reduction in the positivity between parent and child, all of those things. Um, But I think what hasn't yet been discussed as much is that there are also uh, reduced wellness outcomes for kids that have a lack of boundaries and a lack of follow-through and that are not allowed to experience Distress, right, and experience limit setting, um, and there are right. So on that end of things, when when parents struggle more with follow through and limit setting, um, and again, we recognize that that comes from a lot of internal experiences ourselves, right? What we're bringing into parenting ourselves, right? Nothing will bring up your own stuff <laughs> about how <Yes>. you were raised <laughs> than raising a human yourself. Oh, yeah, it will come back <laughs> to get you, right? So you're so busy running away from how you were parented that sometimes we forget to pause and go, oh, hang on, hang on, let's come back to that compass. Oh, you know, failure to hold this boundary means that kids are more likely to develop internalizing disorders, right? Internalized distress, right? Because, right, anxiety, they're more likely to have prior anxiety scores. Kids score lower on, um, on measures of emotional intelligence. They are more likely to demonstrate when they go to college, for example, things like what they call academic entitlement, right? Meaning that when they don't meet a criteria that's been set, it's kind of shocking, right? Like they, they run into a limit for the first time in college and it's really hard to cope because they're like, what? <laughs> what is this? Like I should get the outcome I want. And, and that leads to less personal growth in kids, right? And so there's all these studies on this, particularly between 2016 and I, I would say 2019, there was kind of this explosion in, hey, what about outcomes for kids with more, that were raised with more permissive parenting styles where boundaries and follow through weren't really firm? Um, and, and that gets less attention. So we're trying to bring us back to the center here to recognize both sides of the extreme and find our compass and come back to the center with evidence and balance.
0: What can a parent do if they struggle with these boundaries? And for reasons like you mentioned, right? You're, either you're trying to... Maybe you had a very strict environment and you're trying to move the pendulum the other direction, but now you see that as no boundaries. Or you do try to hold the boundaries, but seeing your child cry or they get upset or they say, I hate you, and you're like, wait a second, <laughs> don't hate me, have the cookie. <laughs> what can they do in that moment to bring themselves back and remember, okay, boundaries are important. How do I stick to it? How, how do they do that?
1: Yeah. This is where I think the idea of a, a you know, having this playbook um, can be so helpful, right? Because um, if in the moment we're going in with this kind of broad notion, it's really confusing, right? When you're faced with distress and you don't have a plan, now this, this is where we get back to the, the true north thing though, which plan do you follow? Mm. And, and so I think knowing that there are evidence based parenting programs that have been studied over and over for 40 years that really, you know, Jen and I have looked at, at them over and over in, in research, um, as research scientists and in clinic, and they share the same common tenets that address both warmth and boundaries, right? And they're addressed in a certain order. So they always start with relationship building and then they always go up to limit setting. Why? Well, partly because, well, there's so many reasons why, but partly to speak to what you're talking about is that the level of distress that a child is gonna show when you set a limit is gonna be lower in intensity and in frequency if you've done that preventative level of work first, right? So, if you've used all those other strategies that are focused on prevention, right, that the relationship building strategies, things like special time that we talk a lot, about a lot, you know, 10 minutes a day of one on one play, mm-hmm. um, things like praise and reinforcement, um, these have been studied. They are the same across, there's only four to five top evidence based parenting programs, right? The Incredible Years, Triple P, PCIT, um, PMTO, right? And they share these common tenets. Then when you do that relationship building first and you get to the limit setting, you're going to see already that the intensity of the pushback tends to, for most parents, Mm -hmm. be lower. Mm -hmm. Now, when we go into the limit setting, it's still a beast because parents (laughs) are anxious because (laughs) especially if they experience trauma, right. Which we talk about a lot in clinic when I'm working with families, like we both will say, you know, we need to talk about how you were Mm parenting. But if, um, your level of dysregulation really feeds into your child's mm-hmm. level of dysregulation, right? So, we take time to prep for parents for that ahead of time, and to make sure that parents are addressing parental well-being first. So, when your child ex- expect this pushback, what are the thoughts? What's the mantra you're going to have to yourself, right? Like, you know, I I'm a research nerd, so Jenna and I will say <laughs> things like, "We're in this for the long haul," right? Mm-hmm. Resiliency is positive relationship paired with lots of experiences of safe distress. Hmm. That's what it is. It's distress, right? I'm helping my kid by letting them experience this and to push through it, right. And to wait it out and to have confidence that you've done that preventative work first. But I think that confidence only comes with having some kind of a a playbook and some knowledge of what
3: the research yes. is.
0: And I like the idea of the mantra too, because you'll be in this kind of heated situation with your child and as long as if you can maintain that sort of thought to guide you, then you know. And with time, it takes time it, on your end as a parent, and your child, like you said, when you start building that relationship, will eventually understand. I've seen it in my kids too. You know, they it's like that sort of disappointment, and the shoulders go down. I'm like, ah, oh. <laughs> they just want whatever they ask for, but. If you stick to it as well they'll start understanding these boundaries and
2: Consistency is such an important driver we do know that consistent parenting and so you know when you're in that reminding yourself that my job is to stay consistent and to be the steady leader we have much more experience than our kids and and we our job is to be that kind of sturdy leader in the home and their job is to have whatever feelings they have about it um, it's not necessarily for them to feel great in every moment that we're setting these boundaries and so kind of remembering what what's the parent job here and what's the child job and mm-hmm. again our job isn't necessarily to make our kids feel happy about every boundary we set <laughs> 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 what
0: happens in what happens in a situation where both parents believe or want to follow different parenting styles how is this perhaps beneficial for the child to see a little bit of both or should parents have a conversation or sit down to align themselves towards one parenting style
1: i you know i think this brings us back to our due north right like Mm -hmm. it is important that both parents are going north (laughs) meaning otherwise the kid's going to be being pulled into actually different directions right so and when we say north we mean warmth and boundaries right Mm -hmm. and following the core tenets of evidence-based parenting programs Mm -hmm. right which we referred to earlier and what jenna alluded to earlier is that inconsistency in the research has been found to increase challenging behaviors Mm -hmm. right because if we just think about it from a limit testing point of view right if if i if you set a limit and one day even within a parent let's say one day the whining, I've had a great day. You know, I met all my deadlines the day before. I'm all good. My, by the time my kids are up, I've gone for a run and drank my coffee and I'm set. And the whining, nothing can get me down. So I'm like, I'm good. This isn't going to get me, right? And then the next day, I'm like, oh my God, why can't you ever, right? <laughs> that inconsistency, when you set a boundary like that, the kid every day is testing, like, where are we at today? Where are we at today? Right? And they never know. Like, let's, let's put some feelers out right but that can also happen between parents right so if one parent has one response and the other parent has a different response that's going to be problematic and and the research has shown that if your kid is spicier right or has something you know an actual wiring difference like you know adhd attention deficit attention deficit disorder or some difficulty in executive functioning that consistency becomes that much more important because that can lead to a lot of increases in oppositionality that will follow them throughout their their life um, and have longer-term effects, right, and more serious diagnoses typically follow. So consistency is super important. This is the reason Jenna and I, you know, in clinical practice, we always, if there's more than one parent, we require that both parents participate (laughs) because if one parent does it and starts going this way in their parenting style and the other is still staying their previous course, it has worse outcomes.
3: Right. But how would in the, in the, in the situation where you've decided, okay, I I think I'm going to, I want to change, start changing my parenting technique. Um, What advice would you have for, for, for someone, let's say, how long is it going to take for them to change their parenting style? And at what point should they bring their, their partner on board? Is it right away? Should they just start feeling things out start making changes and then uh, see how it goes or see, or get a, a specialist on board right away? What would you what would you say to a, a new parent?
2: I mean, I think it would it would definitely be what is driving that. If you have a, a family who's experiencing some pretty significant challenging behaviors, and potentially some you know underlying neurodevelopmental differences, working with a professional would definitely be a recommendation. If you're a family um, who's just trying to be proactive and get on the same page you know, finding an evidence-based resource to work as a partner with, I mean, the thing that's so interesting about parenting is that the first time you often hear the word parenting plan is in divorces, right? Like that's when parents start to say, okay, well, we need a document to say how we're going to manage these things. And wouldn't it be so great if like that was the plan from the beginning where, Two imperfect people with two imperfect pasts come together and they say, man, we're going to, you know, raise these little, this little person or these little people, like, let's have a a general framework, right? Like, I'm going to be different than, than my partner in parenting. We're we're just different people. One of us may have, you know, we can't expect that we're going to manage every situation identically, but our overarching framework and approach should generally be consistent right along these these guidelines of warmth and boundaries so if you can having a resource that you're doing with your partner so you're avoiding that game of telephone where because what we see is a lot of moms gathering information and then downloading it to their partner and mm-hmm. lost in translation or you get this like nagging effect where you know, partners are, are, you know, holding each other accountable. And so if two parents can come together and consume that resource together and think of it as like a business plan for their family, Mm -hmm. I think that can be a lot more effective for everyone than one parent, you know, gathering the information and then translating it.
3: Right. I think of my own relationship a little bit. And I think my my husband and I are very different in many ways. And yet, we have the general framework that we're working together on and I think that's the different the the important thing is that even though we're we're parenting so differently uh, he uses different techniques and and is able to get them into use humor a lot whereas I might be parenting a little bit differently but in the big grand scheme of it yeah we're all working towards the same goal but I think when we get on Instagram and we see like Oh, we should be doing this, we should be doing this. And these are the techniques and, and my husband's not doing it right. And then all all of a sudden it's this conflict, I'm doing it right. He's doing it wrong. And if we look on Instagram, it's mostly women that are putting out the content and it's mostly the content that we're, that's the type of content we're seeing. So how do we, how do we translate that better to our husbands and how do we build, keep building rather than causing conflict? It's a really good
2: question and something that we are actively trying, to, you know, most of our followers are moms, even though, you know, we try not to be really gendered in our approach. And yet we still have, I think it's like 97% of our followers are moms. Um, and so it, it is tricky to try and, uh, you know, break that down and be, you know, think about the things that are going to resonate with different parenting, uh, you know, dads versus moms you know, different constellations of families.
1: I think this brings up an important point though about just like the inherent biases and and culture of the parenting world, right? Like, so this it's gendered, it's also, you know I would say there's a heavily white voice in there that can feel really excluding to people of color. Um, The parenting styles often are really about white parenting styles. You know, um, I'll. You know, so it's it's about gender, and it's also about just exclusion in general. So, you know, one thing I think that is helpful um, in coming back to this evidence and balance is that if we, gen- I'm going to totally go into gender stereotypes here, but if typically what I'll see in clinic is that the dads are more likely to maybe use some humor and maybe be okay with things that. Feel more along the line of limit setting right and the mom is doing a lot of nagging (laughs) about like that was too harsh or you need to process that emotion or right (laughs) and when we have one guidebook that kind of says like okay actually you're both right like how you're both going to learn from each other here now in which situations are we going to use warmth here and do that preventative work and which situations are we really going to say hey bud I made this limit clear that's a no-go and even using that right. language in parenting culture right now, like I get nervous before I talk that way in social media, right? So I'm Latina. I work with a <laughs> lot of um, Latinx families, a lot of Chicano families. And I'll get the feedback of like, that's some white mama stuff, you know, like, right? So if you look at cultural adaptations, for example, in um, in evidence-based parenting, Latino populations tend to give a lot more deposits and a lot more withdrawals into the emotional piggy bank. There's just a lot of input that happens in our culture. (laughs) And so, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. So how do we adapt the same thing for genders, right? Like how do we come back to this middle ground and say, Hey, you know what? There's a lot of paths up this mountain. You can have a different tone and still be setting a limit. You don't have to, you know, this idea of saying like, you know, your kiddo's hitting you and, and if I say to some of you my know, families and and I think a lot of the dads too, like when your kid is punching me in the face, I want you to gently say, oh, buddy, you look really upset right now. <laughs> and I'm, I'm being facetious on purpose, right? Yeah. Cause I'm, yeah. I'm trying to be real for my clients. That's what's really happening in the non-white woman yoga culture world of parenting, right? Like, <laughs> and so we have to think about that and own that and be like, how many families are looking at what we're putting out there? and being like, oh, this isn't for me. Mm -hmm. Dads are looking at our stuff, and they're like, do what now? No.
2: (laughs) Or, you know, sometimes I see, you know, people saying, well, you know, kids are allowed to say whatever they want, and I roll and backtalk, and my heart goes, well, yeah, your child who is white might get away with that in the public school system, but I feel fearful for a parent of color who's getting that message and saying my child doesn't get the benefit of the doubt like your child does and and that that makes me scared because I feel like some of those messages might you know I can't speak for a a person of color and how they're interpreting that so I don't want to because that's not my job, but I do, you know, wonder what that message might be like if they're worried about their child's safety and they're hearing messages that it's okay if their child back talks and eye rolls because free expression of emotion is fine. And yet their child's not, um, you know, treated equally in, in our public schools.
1: Yeah. I want, I'm so sorry. We went off on a passionate rant.
0: (laughs) think it's important to do that i i one of my questions was about talking about culture because though there will be cultural mm. differences um so I, I really think it's good that you you brought that up and maybe we could touch upon it again in this con in the next question because i think a parent who's listening to this might say okay fine so now i that compass that will lead me to the top of the mountain i need to think of warmth and i need to think of boundaries but what is warmth with my child and what are boundaries if i'm putting my child in timeouts is that fine is that okay if i'm yelling at my child is that a boundary am i showing that this is wrong maybe they're questioning all this so can we take those Mm -hmm. two terms and sort of break them down in everyday situations so that parents could have that compass a little bit more clear in their minds? yeah
2: absolutely and i think i want to point out this one idea before i jump into a few examples is that This has not only been found in like overarching parenting styles, but it's found within subcategories of parenting. So when we look at feeding practices, um, we know that the division of responsibility and what the parent's job and child's job can lead to better outcomes with picky eating and body image and those type of things. And we've also found it in the anxiety literature that you have to have... um, you know, validation plus boundaries in, or in the treatment for anxiety disorders involve some pretty heavy boundaries. Yeah. I mean, you know, so this is, it's specific to parenting in general, but also kind of these subcategories. So if we want to take an example of, you know, feeding, for example, and mealtime stuff. So what, uh, you know, permissive parenting might look like in that would be to, Frequently make a meal, a specific meal for a child because they don't want what the rest of the family's having, right? So you're, you know, you're kind of that, um, you're constantly kind of giving them whatever they want to eat, even though the rest of the family's having something else, right? That might be more permissive and more authoritarian parenting might be a forcing a child to eat something when they don't want it, right? You have to finish, you know, five bites before you can leave the table or get your dessert. And the warmth plus boundaries is, you know, this is what we're offering. This is your choice. And you get to decide if you eat or how much you eat. And so that can be kind of one example of how the warmth and the boundaries come into play. You know, another example at uh, drop off for school, uh, authoritarian, that harsh with Uh, parenting approach might be, you know, if your child's experiencing some distress over preschool drop-off to be like, it's no big deal. Get over it. You're going to be fine. Um, Stop crying and pushing their child to transition really quickly. And permissive might be a lot of warmth and really struggling to, to complete that transition. And so, oh, I can see you're really upset. This is really hard. I know it's really hard. I'm just going to stay with you a little bit longer and really prolonging that transition and that authoritative warmth and boundaries would be, I know this is hard and I'm confident you're going to be okay. You can do this buddy and making it a quicker transition. Mm -hmm. So those are some examples. And then I also just want to have this caveat that you don't have to get it right every single time. Like this is the spectrum and we're, Generally, aiming for general warmth and general boundaries mm-hmm. most of the time. So, <laughs> like, don't feel like, because we've all done probably all of those things at some point, right? <laughs> and, it's like,
0: and it's like Shauna said before, it starts with us. So, if there's a day that you just start off on a foot where you're like, this is not going to be a good day, not because of my kids, because of me, <laughs> we have those days and it's okay. Yes, um, yeah. So, like,
2: yelling okay we know as a general parenting practice like let's not make that our go-to strategy now if a parent has yelled how can we help them find some self-compassion and then you know are there some underlying factors some ways that we can adapt things so that that's not the strategy that they're relying on that's what we want mm-hmm. to
0: be doing Um and also I think when it comes to yelling. Perhaps thinking of the reasons why is it because you are tired, you are stressed, have unmet needs, or do you think that yelling is a way to discipline and that it'll get yeah. them to listen? So perhaps taking that moment to think of the reason behind it. And again, if it's because it's your unmet, you know, you are stressed and tired and overwhelmed, then you can work on that. Um, and if you think that's the way to parent that will be the best outcome, then realizing hopefully through this conversation that there are ways to establish boundaries and be firm on those boundaries without having right. to yell. And I
2: think sometimes yelling can be the result of failing to set the boundary earlier or feeling confident oh, good point. in setting boundaries, right? <laughs> like, I'm told I can't do timeout. I'm told I can't do all these other things. And so I, I don't know what to do. And then we can yeah. only, like, white knuckle it for so long and then we explode. Yeah.
1: And I would say, Cindy, so, yeah. that is what I'm seeing, like more and more of the families that are coming in now, I think, um, you know, I, in certain paradigms I've worked in, there's yelling because that's the only way they listen, right, and that's like a belief structure that we work on and we and we look at the evidence and we, and we work on. But more and more what I see is actually that the yelling comes from an attempt to be purely positive, right? So let's clarify terms here, right? Positive parenting in the research is different from positive parenting on social media positive parenting programs in the research include the top evidence-based parenting programs iypcit right i named them earlier now here's what's going to blow people's minds if you've only gotten parenting information social media all of those programs include consequences and time out there you go yes right and then positive (laughs) parenting. you can be positive without being purely positive And I think a lot of in social media, positive parenting, the way it's being described there, is actually a new thing that refers to purely positive parenting, right? That doesn't tend to find this balance of warmth and boundaries as as effectively and actually is not an existing curriculum that's ever been studied, right? These evidence-based programs, what evidence-based means is that they've been studied as they are. Each component has been studied, positive parenting or these other, like the paths up the mountain, right? The different paths, the, the um, philosophies, none of those have been studied at all, which mm-hmm. is neither here nor there, but we have to be careful when we hear like research says, the research is clear. You know, I'm like, show me your receipts, baby. Let me see. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>.
2: <laughs>
0: uh,
1: there's A,
2: um, a meta analysis that just came out in 2019, which I love that it's so recent yeah. and they looked at 154 parenting interventions and looked at what are the components of parenting programs that lead to even more um, reductions in challenging behaviors because parenting programs are generally the target is challenging behaviors but we also know that the outcomes lead to better mental health outcomes like reduced depression and stuff but they're generally looking at that challenging behavior and they looked at 26 techniques that are taught across parenting interventions. So problem solving, empathy, um, ignoring timeout consequences, all these things. And they found that three components led to even better outcomes. So even more reduction in challenging behaviors. And those were positive reinforcement, praise, and logical consequences. So again, we come back to warmth and boundaries. In a previous meta analysis looking at parenting interventions found um, similar, though slightly different, effects that child-directed play and timeout were the two components. And so, but again, it comes back to warmth and boundaries. A family might choose not to do timeout, but they have to have the boundary piece, right? We're not saying you have to do X, Y, and Z identical to this every single time, but we need both sides of that mountain or you're going to fall off.
0: Yeah. And I love that you mentioned logical consequences. I think that's something we need to keep in mind when we're dealing with certain behaviors because if a child is doing something and there's a consequence that has to be given for that, that you give them some random thing that's not linked to it, how are they supposed to know that that's the action that they need to work on or stop. So can you define that a little bit more when you say logical consequence?
2: Yeah, and I don't know what it looked like in every single intervention. So I can talk about it from how
0: I teach it, but every intervention
2: might have it slightly differently. I mean, generally, so there's a natural consequence, which is just the result of the behavior without any parent intervention. So if a child Mm -hmm. refuses to wear a coat, and then the natural consequence of that is that they're cold, right? So no parent. Yeah. And so sometimes we have to let the natural consequence play out for our children without rescuing them.
1: Yes.
2: Um, and and mm. some learning can occur. Um, but a logical consequence is where a parent uh, you know, has to participate in it. So it might be that if a child throws blocks, the blocks are removed for a short period of time. Um, so it's related mm-hmm. to the offense is generally what we're talking about some programs yeah. do include this idea of some logical consequences being less related than we might sometimes think. So like uh, the addition of like a work chore or um, oh. Oh. or removal of privileges that aren't always directly tied. So those do actually fall in the category of logical consequences in evidence-based interventions. Yep. Got it. So I think an
1: example like for an older kid also, you know, if if there's a lot of arguing and negotiating going around at the end of screen time, right? Then that child would have five minutes less of screen time the next time it's it's time, right? So there's lots of ways. The idea is to try to make it as closely related to the behavior as you can. And if in a moment you're like, crap, I can't think of one, every parent has their default bank where they're like, okay, I guess that's screen time. And it's not gonna damage your kid. right? it is not gonna damage your kid because you're <laughs> holding the boundary and you're combining more and boundaries and it's all gonna be okay right? So it is okay to have, you know, your backup plan of like, when I can't think of something, (laughs) here's a consequence. Um, But generally speaking, you do try to make it related. When people think of consequences, they think of like, go to your room or like, that's it, you're doing right. And that's not what we're talking about that in no way, nor with a timeout or consequences that the research, the evidence-based programs that teach those things Never involve a harsh statement like that, right? Never, ever has it been taught that way. Um, so we're talking about something that is pre-planned and calmly stated. And you know, if my son misses peeing in the toilet and I hand him a paper towel and say, "Hey, bud, you know, you missed a spot, wipe that up," that's a that's a logical consequence, right? And I'm not yelling. It's very matter of fact. It's like, hey, here's what happens:
2: made a mess, clean it up. And I think, I think this is actually like pretty unpopular in social media. And so sometimes we get really nervous about it because we're like, this feels so different than I think, um, what parents, you know, what, what a lot of stuff is out there, but but the direct messages we get from people are like, I just feel so bad. It's like this dirty little secret that I do time out and I'm afraid that I, I can't tell anyone or, um. And then we also have all these parents who are so afraid and then they're yelling a lot and then they feel so much shame and guilt because they're yelling and we're like yeah. where did this happen where like we know that yelling is actually harmful i mean I, and i don't want to this to be guilt inducing but we know that that being used as like a frequent strategy does fall on this harsh parenting realm right and consequences have never been shown to be harmful and yet like our parenting pendulum has kind of swung where parents feel so much guilt about these things that, that they're now, because they have no tools are relying on some of these other things because they don't have anything else.
0: Well, I think that's part of also the misconceptions that have come about just because of all these terms that we're using everything being positive parenting and everything being attachment. And we're not, we're forgetting the boundaries part of it. And I think that, Maybe this is part of the reason why in relationships, you know, somebody might say, well, I don't want to only do that. I don't want to be like the lovey-dovey kind of parent that sets no boundaries for my child. But really, when you're looking at the research, you're seeing that you need those boundaries. They're important. And like you said, consequences are part of it. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as we are realistic with our goals and that we, like you said, we make it, um, logical to, to what's going on. Can we touch on um, timeouts just for a little bit? I I Because I think we can have a whole conversation on this. Um, but a parent might say, okay, if I'm following this parenting style that we're talking about, can I give a timeout? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there you Hang go. Up. Next question. <laughs> okay. I'm going to say yes with 5,000 caveats.
1: <laughs> so... If you are practicing evidence-based positive parenting program, which means you have done all of these other steps first, right? So you asked earlier about the components. They, When we looked across, and this is how Jen and I created our course, right? Like we, we went across the top parenting interventions and we said, okay, oh my gosh, this is so much for parents. What are What's every single thing that overlaps between them? That's all we're going to focus on. Like what do parents need for due north? Like let's just bring this, let's just get out the noise, right? So the core components relationship building through one-on-one play mm. and little tiny interactions of warmth during the day, not being attentive to your child all day, little tiny interactions during the day. Yeah. Okay. There's a component. Then, you know, positive reinforcement and teaching new skills, which includes praise, but that's a whole nother talk. We're going to talk about it. <laughs> it includes evidence-based praise, right? Setting clear limits by having family rules and giving clear commands. That's in every evidence-based parenting program. Okay. And then following through when limits are crossed with natural and logical consequences and timeout to calm down. Now, if you are doing all of those other things, right, you likely aren't going to need those top those top interventions as often, right? But if you're doing all those other things in an evidence-based way, right, and yes, then you can absolutely do a timeout. It is never taught first because timeout is only effective if it's done according to research and used sparingly. Dosage matters. So if you're giving 20 timeouts a day, there's an issue. And we would look at those previous skills, right? See what's going on. But the way that the timeout is done matters. And 85% of timeouts done by the general population are done incorrectly.
0: That's a, I was going to bring that up. That was a study I came across or a few of them actually that spoke about the inconsistencies within a parent giving timeouts. And that's what results in ineffective timeouts. Yep.
1: Yep. And Jenna has a great, Jenna, what did you say to me the other day about throwing it out? Does that mean we throw it out? We have lots of back and forth texts that are very passionate, you know, (laughs) basically I think the crux of it and correct me if I'm wrong, Jenna, it was this idea of, okay, they're all done wrong. Therefore we should replace it with something that hasn't been studied. Mm. No, that's a calling to us as scientists, as professionals to be like, oh crap, we need to do a better job of getting this information out to parents, of not being scared to call it timeout because it has a bad rap on, we're not gonna have as many followers. That's all right, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, so no, let's call it what it is and let's teach people how to do it properly so that it's an effective and compassionate timeout. There's a study that talks about parents that are, tend to be more anti-timeout and that really wanna have a positive democratic relationship with their kids are more likely to use yelling even though they say that they don't yell. Right when they're parenting, why? Well, because if you don't have an evidence-based tool to go to, right, and you're trying so hard to be positive, positive, I'm mean, gonna be positive. Look how I nice, am. I love you, sweetie. Do you think that we could? I'm being so nice, and the end of the day, and you're like, I've been so nice, and you're
2: still not listening, and you blow up, right? And you're not also allowed to use positive reinforcement, right? Because we've also heard that positive reinforcement, we're not supposed to use that either. So these parents are going, I can't praise, I can't use rewards, I can't use timeout, and now I don't know what to do, and now I'm yelling, which is the one thing that we actually know is
0: not great. And now it's 4 p.m. and I have no more patience. Yeah, and I will still, you know, <laughs> I've been
2: that parent. So this is, is absolutely no judgment we to any parent. Out
1: there. <laughs> Same. Yeah. So can to answer your question, Cindy, can they do a timeout? Mm-hmm. Yes, they can do an evidence-based timeout in the context of all the other tools of, of research-based, sorry, yep. evidence-based parenting program being used. A evidence-based timeout is very different from like the timeout of the 80s of like, go to your room and like being there for two hours by yourself while your yeah. you parents have a not glass of wine why. or something, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Like that is not what it is. It is a very thought out procedure um, that actually involves less harsh interventions than some things that we see being substituted for timeout, like holding a child's arms down when they're trying to hit you. Which is more associated with increased risk of people being hurt and also a parent ultimately losing it because they're like, I wanna be a good parent. You're punching me in the face and cursing at my face, and I'm holding your arms down. It is that it's just a matter of time before that turns out ugly. (laughs) So, you know, following the procedures on an evidence based timeout again, you know, if you look at the incredible years, I think they do a really nice job of combining the warmth and boundaries in a parent friendly way um, our content walks through how to do an evidence-based timeout and, and we walk through the difference. There are some different approaches that can be taken, different paths up that mountain that will still take you due North. And so you can make that choice for yourself.
0: So you just, um, summarized a little bit about the course that you guys are launching. Can you talk to us more about that?
2: Yeah. So like Shauna said, we looked at the top evidence-based parenting interventions and we looked, and then we also read, um, literature like crazy (laughs) the research on that meta analysis there's been a few meta-analyses on parenting programs and key components and we took those building blocks those core components that are in each of those programs and we presented them in the same order and we videotaped families demonstrating the skills so that parents can see what this looks like. And so we have, um, you know, there's learning. And then we also do some myth busting because we a lot of the concerns that come up around some of these tools are very, they make sense, right? Like, well, if I praise my child, are they going to become reliant on praise? Or if I do a timeout, is this going to damage my attachment? These aren't bad questions to be asking. We just have to say, well, like, what does the research say? And we go, oh wow, it's actually this is what it says. Mm-hmm. And so that's we present the research with citations and then show video examples of kind of those core components.
0: And where do we sign I don't know up? You guys. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Do you know, when is this uh, going to be out? (laughs) Well,
2: it's available for pre-sale on Monday. So and we would love to give your listeners a discount code for the program. So Cindy, we can get that to you. And then um, so pre-sale on Monday and then it will be released on March 18th live. So we do have a pre-sale price and then um, it'll be live on the 18th.
1: And our goal of the program is really like this playbook idea, this compass idea and that we're going to have more confident parents so that like at the end now you know truly what the tenants like <laughs> what the essentials of evidence-based parenting are right the, you can put your mm-hmm. flavor on it you can be new and do it you can be right different cultural backgrounds different genders you can execute these skills and then when you go on social media you're kind of going to be like that doesn't jive with these basic mm-hmm. tenants that i know hmm. I'll put that aside, that's not serving me versus like, yeah, that seems like a cool take on a something that's consistent with what I know about research and move forward confidently,
2: right? Yeah, because going <laughs> back to those philosophies, a lot of those are great and they involve that warmth and those boundaries. And so you can be the, you know, if you identify strongly with that gentle parenting philosophy um, or the conscious discipline philosophy or all these different things, as long as you're, you know, kind of going up that mountain,
0: we're good. Yeah, and I really like that analogy that you guys have of the mountain and the compass because, like you said, we have differences between you know individuals and parents and and gender differences and our kids are all different. But at least having that compass and that guide, we're always on the right track to make to make it mm-hmm. up the mountain. I was going to ask, um, you know, what are your three first steps? I guess for a parent who's listening who says, okay, I was not on that track <laughs> up that mountain, but I want to be now. Um. One. How long will it take before I get to the top of the mountain, or before I see a difference? <laughs> because parents always want to know. You know how, what is this time here, the commitment, <laughs> and also, you know, what should I start doing tomorrow? Um, Jenna, you want me to go my first three? Sure. Yeah. All
1: right. Can go. I'm curious if yours are the same or different. Let's see. <laughs> we we started to share one brain, so we'll see. Yeah. Um so i would say that the first step is to um select an a a resource right like select one to start because you're gonna go nuts (laughs) now be careful in how you select that resource so you know hopefully we can present a resource list right um in in the evidence-based programs the top evidence-based parenting programs and where you can look programs up for yourself to see you know when you hear a program does this have any evidence behind it right um, mm-hmm. So select one from that list that can, you know, include our overview of evidence-based parenting programs or it cannot, right? That That's not what this is about. <laughs> Just please get something evidence-based. Um, yeah. So pick one of those and, um, and start off with one tool at a time. Don't read a parenting book, right? This is gonna be like, plan on three months. Like, okay, for the next three months, I am going to really familiarize myself with this playbook. I'm gonna get my compass working, right? Um, I'm not gonna to get to the top of mountain three <laughs> in three months, but I'm gonna be confidently moving in a direction that's consistent with my values, right? And so, you know, give yourself a few months and take one tool at a time. So all of these programs, like we said, are gonna present one tool at a time and they're gonna be consistent with what we've outlined. Okay, take one, make yourself accountable, log it somehow, right? Like, okay, i practice this consistently. Yeah. If you have a partner, my partner has practiced it consistently. We've talked about this. And then only when you feel confident in that one tool, then say, okay, now I'm going to do this. All parents, when they come to us are like, yeah, but what do I do when they hit? And we're like, okay, wait, we're going to get there back up one thing at a time. Let's start with this one tool. So find that one tool, select one tool at a time,
0: document and move on only when you've mastered that one tool. Those would be my three steps. And that, that one tool, or maybe first step could even be working on yourself. Yeah. That might be a good first step too. <laughs> you never know. <laughs>
1: I love that. I mean, we actually, we start the course with, um, so we cover parental, um, well-being. We have a whole module on because that does matter in outcomes in our, in our course. And our course starts with a, ref- a deep reflection from parents. It's not parenting is not a checklist activity, this, this stuff is personal. This stuff is messy. This stuff is vulnerable. And so we tap into that right away, right? If you try to just like white knuckle, like, okay, I'm going to do this checklist, even though I don't know if it's consistent with my values, my culture, and my identity, and I'm not going to acknowledge who I am as a person, it's not going to work.
0: I, I love that you're mentioning that because I, part of, we have a membership and part of our membership is this challenge that I call better me, better parent. And just a question box where they, or it's a page and you fill this out in your journal or your book and you start talking or explaining to yourself how you were raised and how that's influenced how you are raising your children one of the members reached out to me and said I cried all day (laughs) and it's because she had never taken the time to really sit with it and and let it simmer and realize the connections between the two and I think it's great that you're mentioning that because that does impact how we parent and our well-being as well
2: yeah And if I were Mm -hmm. to say that there's one thing, like one skill that I can start tomorrow before I've even purchased a program yet, right. Is, Mm -hmm. um, child directed play. Um, and so true or a special, you know, it's referred to as child directed play, special time, um, child directed interaction, I think is another word that it goes by. And, you know, we have some posts on it. Other, other people have posts on it as well, but just 10 minutes a day of, um, child-led play where you're really filling your child's emotional piggy bank and you know that would be where I would start if I had to pick one thing.
0: Thank you so much. For joining me today yes, thank I you think so. that parents will have lots to I think this is one of the episodes where they you have to take out a notebook <laughs> if, if you're at the end <laughs> of the episode just start it over again <laughs> take out your notebook <laughs> and write down some notes and then head over to Helping Families Thrive you have um, an Instagram account and a website as well I believe with an awesome freebie and um, what else uh, besides the course is that everything else where people could find you Yeah, we have a new website coming on Monday. So it should
2: be there by the time your listeners are hearing. Oh, sorry. Yeah, the freebie I thought was from your website. (laughs) It is on our website. Yes. So they can. Oh, it is. Okay. They can get the freebie (laughs) on our Instagram page. And we have a new website and the course coming on Monday.
0: And I think we will have to continue this conversation about timeouts yes. and a lot more evidence-based <laughs> stuff, perhaps on Instagram or back on a podcast. But thank you again. I love it. Thank you so much, Cindy. Thank you, thank you. Alright, so now it's time for us to get into a little bit more detail or to just summarize this conversation that we had with Jenna and Shauna. I wanted to bring in a parenting style questionnaire that I found in research um, that could maybe allow us to understand a little bit more of what these parenting styles are and help us with that compass that they mentioned. So here, um, I'm just going to say a few questions and then we'll we'll, um, take it from there. But here's something that you can ask yourself. Do I explain to my child um, how I feel about his or, her, his or her good or bad behavior? Do I encourage my child to talk about their feelings and problems? Do I take my child's wishes into consideration before asking them to do something? Do I explain the reasons behind my expectations? And do I provide comfort and understanding when my child is upset? I don't have to go through the entire questionnaire, but these few questions, I think, Allow us to see that when it comes to sensitivity or that warmth, it's not saying not to have these boundaries, but you're explaining the reasons behind something. You are having more conversations around reasons that you did something or reasons that you asked something of your child. And I think that's an important point to bring up. Yeah, I think that's also really important. Um, That was it was a really
3: fantastic podcast. I learned so much from them, and I love that they're going back to the basics, back to the research. Like they they said, we're we're working off the the shoulders of giants, and like people have done the research, and we know general frameworks of how we should be parenting. And it's important that we understand it and then we ask questions, but that we don't become obsessed with it because I think that's what happens is we're obsessed with parenting at some point where we're quite over questioning things and we're like becoming guilty Mm -hmm. if things aren't going exactly the way we thought they would. We wake up with these like expectations and then there's a meltdown before you even get down the
0: stairs. (laughs) Your whole day is ruined.
3: You're already. (laughs) So I, I love how we just break it down into something that's really simple and I think when explaining in the, when, when we were just saying about how you explain to your child what the problem was and as you as your child hears these words the brain is actually rewiring you're actually hearing okay like that's that's the word that goes along with my emotion and there is a study that's looked at that um what children who can actually verbalize some of their emotions actually do wet, better with mm. with their preschool um interactions with their kid with their with their friends at preschool mm-hmm. because they they have this this idea like oh yeah I had a, a meltdown or I had a, a, a moment and my mom explained to me or my dad explained to me looks like you're frustrated and <laughs> this is what's happening and then so you stick to your boundaries you still yep. like but you still cannot have another piece of chocolate cake it's yes. it <laughs> it's over I can see you're frustrated yeah. but and so he'll in his mind, like yeah I'm, I'm frustrated I'm disappointed and and he's starting to build that vocabulary so the part of the brain like vocabulary part of the brain is firing it's like oh yeah I can add that to my word bank and then the next time it might be a little bit easier it might not yes. like <laughs> that's the other thing sometimes it's easy sometimes <laughs> but slowly but surely they we're starting to make progress
0: and it's like they mentioned also it's the big picture you're picturing them later on in college where they fail an exam for the first time. And it could be the end of the world, or it could be just like, you know, that negative part of it. Or it could be like, sometimes you fail things. (laughs) Sometimes, you know, there are consequences. I didn't study (laughs) and that's a natural (laughs) consequence or whatever it is. But it's that mindset that we're preparing that resilience to later on. It might be hard to deal with (laughs) when they're young and they're having a tantrum or screaming or telling us that they don't like us in that moment. But there really is a big picture to it. Exactly. And that's, and that's really the
3: the thing to take away is that I think it's easy to say, yeah, I can't hit my child. Obviously that's, that that seems wrong, but some of the other permissive parenting techniques that come up, come up can also be um, almost as bad as, as hitting in some Mm -hmm. ways. We need to give them the boundaries and make sure they understand that we can make mistakes and that things can be frustrating and you don't always get your way and things like that. I think what um, I really liked was the, the warmth and boundaries and breaking it down just to, to something simple. So I think that's what I will do at the end of, end of my day <laughs> is look back and say, "Was there some warmth?" <laughs> yeah, we had 10 minutes of play. We had uh, we had some time together. I felt warm <laughs> I felt warm. I felt a nice inter- I felt like we were interacting. and and then I also set some boundaries mm-hmm. that they weren't that happy with today. <laughs> Today we went sledding. Oh my goodness. I made them wear helmets and I, I felt like that was the worst in the whole world. None of them wanted oh to wear helmets because none of the other kids but it was really icy. And being someone who studies the brain, I just felt like um I've seen the research, sledding is act can actually be quite dangerous. Yeah. They wear sleds when they but they wear sleds. They wear helmets when they go skiing mm-hmm. and we're gonna start wearing um helmets when we're sledding. So they really weren't weren't happy with they that. Just stick to your boundary. I stuck to my boundaries, so there's check mark for me. <laughs> and
0: today I can say, yeah, I've I've uh, <laughs> I had my boundaries, and we also went sledding, so yeah. there I got both of them. You know, in my home, my my husband, who's Italian, introduced our kids to Nutella, and now hmm. that they know that it's in the house every single morning, they'll say, "Can I have Nutella?" And the answer is no, most of the time. It's a treat that we'll have once in a while. But my daughter started this thing of saying, well, if I can't have Nutella, I'm not having breakfast. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, well, if that's your choice, <laughs> and, you know, so think about it for a few minutes and walk away disappointed. And I'll make sure that I kind of like we mentioned, you know, I'll express that I understand that she's frustrated because she likes it so much. But then going back to the entire, well, you know, I know that you're upset that you're frustrated about it but you can't have it every day this is a treat that we'll have on weekends or you know for special occasions and she gets you know at some point she'll say okay I get it just toast and peanut butter is fine but (laughs) it's important and it's so easy to give in especially when you see how angry they are and we think that it's not that we think but they're angry at us and we're like don't be angry at me (laughs) love me (laughs) well well, the thing is you do know better you have the experience and uh they
3: don't always understand yeah, exactly i know <laughs> <laughs> that was what happened uh sledding my daughter said i have to wear a helmet and she's very stubborn <laughs> she said i i didn't know i really didn't know how this was going to play she said i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go sledding i'm going to sit in the car and she went oh. <laughs> and she sat in the car for a good five to ten <laughs> minutes and then i went over and i said so it's time to get out you don't have to go sledding but you can watch them go sledding and, and you don't have to wear a helmet and then finally, she puts the helmet on <laughs> and
0: she has a great time. I mean, that's it. It was over after yeah. that. After that but, but there's a bigger learning hard. moment. It's really hard. Yeah. yeah, it's really hard in the moment. Yeah. You mentioned something interesting before when we were chatting about uh, note taking, or you said it even before, you mentioned like writing down notes at the end of the day. And I think that's a great way to go about it because then we are being more aware of our day and more aware and mindful of what we're applying with our child when it comes to parenting. And that can help us see, you know, what we need to work on or what we're doing, not well, but the way that we would want to. Right. I think that's really important is that we're, we're learning every, every day is going to
3: be different. We're going to learn something new. We're going to, we're going to, our different boundaries are different mm-hmm. <laughs> boundaries are going to be pushed. Exactly. And yeah. the next day, you know, you're still going to have to get up and, and face it. So if we can reward ourselves at the end of the day and say, this, this was good. This I could work on. <laughs> and, and then you can, the next day you can get up and, and work on it. And we're slowly, but surely changing our, our ways and, and becoming, uh, let's say better parents or
0: exactly. And you know what, everything should be written on one page for that day. And then the next day is a new page. It's a new yeah. day and a new page doesn't matter, you know, what you called a failure the day before—it's over, and our children get over it much faster than we do. So oh, absolutely! <laughs> yeah. And just move on and learn from the mistakes, and then—or mis- not mistakes, because they're not—they're mistakes. We make it look like mistakes or failures, and then we have guilt around that, but they're not. They're always learning moments, so that we can build from that. So,
3: just- right. and I think that's a great way to spin it: is it's not really a mistake; they're actually learning. Yeah. When I love it when my kids yeah. are are fighting though um I tell them oh this is conflict resolution they're learning something they're learning like, <laughs> they're learning to you know get over this conflict yeah. and I let them fight for a little bit eventually I have to yeah, eventually I have to get yeah. it. after because the coffee it's not
0: always a negative yeah. thing you have to like look for the positives exactly all right thank you so much we're gonna chit chat for the next uh at the next episode and chat more about our life with our three kids <laughs> chatting with Cindy and Marion <laughs> and all those kids <laughs> <laughs> bye bye. Bye.